Okay, campers, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there today. That's right, it's Groundhog's Day! Yay! Uh, those are what, that's what the uh, DJ said on the radio on Groundhog's Day. Those exact things? Uh, well, there was a bunch of middle stuff, but I didn't want to do the whole two-part dialogue, and I forgot to send you the script ahead of time, so, yeah. It's snowing outside right now, just like in that movie Groundhog's Day. Man, you should have kicked it off with just singing the uh, Sonny and Cher song. Wait a minute. When is Groundhog's Day? T today? Alexa, <laughs> when is Groundhog's Day? Groundhog Day is one day away tomorrow. Oh, wow. It's tomorrow. Oh, it's not till it's the second. Of I did not realize it was that. I can't believe I almost missed it. It's snowing. It's gonna. It is literally the movie Groundhog's Day. It's gonna be snowing. Wow. Little miracles makes you think, doesn't Ain't it? That's something. Um, are you yeah, familiar are. with the um, the cultural tradition of rabbit rabbit? We have discussed. Have, have we this. done that? Yes. And I was actually thinking about it last night when I went to bed, but I did not do it this morning. I don't remember what the first thing I said was, but. Honestly, it was probably the first thing I said to you because I haven't talked to anyone yet today. Um, for the record, let it be known, it is 5.09 p.m. Uh, at the time of this recording. Look, man, I only saw one of my roommates and we didn't talk to each other. <laughs> and yeah, we just stared as we do. I, I don't know. It, it's, you know. We've been we've been stuck inside a long time. You run out of things to say to each other. It's really true. So, yeah. that's why this podcast quality is really falling off the last honestly we were just sick of each other <laughs> early on yeah it was that honeymoon period everything was new just humping and pumping <laughs> never a never a dull moment with us and now it's now we're just an angry old couple oh, what what just happened to us company. nick where did we go astray we got corporate and that's when things got sloppy <laughs> whores well there's a little dern news this week it's been pretty quiet out there on the dern front but uh her thing came out <laughs> i'm sorry her <laughs> the photo essay that she starred in by um joan joan frank yes the 50s the, yes i think you had discussed a while ago it is finally out and available and i think i might just purchase it because it looks pretty cool yeah it does look pretty cool oh a coffee table book something sophisticated yeah feels like a good you know compared to last week's david lynch monstrosity um i feel like this is a really good like just going art house direction for her yeah you know just uh reliving 50s housewife aesthetic cherry hill 50s house housewife aesthetic thank you i've had college <laughs> Very well done. Um, this is Dern after reading. Oh, yeah. I literally completely forgot we had to do that. So. It's okay. So did I. We uh, forgot uh, entirely most reading. of these episodes. My name is Max, and this is Nick. Yeah, howdy, folks. We're talking about Laura Dern. We're trying to watch everything she's ever made. We sure are, and we're, and we're getting down. closer. We're getting every week. We're going to say this, and then... I feel like the last one we just shouldn't say it's the last one. And then we just <laughs> <sighs> yeah. 
unsatisfying finish. That way oh, they'll yeah. want us back. Right. <laughs> it's like that's why Firefly is so is has such a cult following. It's because yeah. it didn't get to end. I mean, edging is the next big thing. <clears throat> and I am gonna stand by that. Well, yeah, man. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I have a thing for you. Should I save it for between the durns or should I blow it out now? I guess yeah, it would be hit me right now. A mini segment. Why not? So I am participating in a Philadelphia Valentine's Day poetry contest. Ooh. And the gift card is a hundred dollar gift card. The prize is a hundred dollar gift card to a local Mexican restaurant. Um, I only have one good one. So I'll read that. Um, it's a haiku. We used to spit on tourists at the love statue. Thanks a lot, COVID. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I'm working with so far. Um, my first thought when you said that, that zesty $100 Mexican restaurant gift card prize, I was like, oh, I'm gonna, he shouldn't have told me because now I'm gonna enter and stomp his ass to get that. But after that haiku, I'm like, nope, no, he wins. I, I'm going to try some more, but I feel like that's going to end up being the one I submit. That's really high quality. We'll see how it goes. Um, if you do want to enter, anyone listening or you, Max, they're due the 3rd at 9 p.m. And if you just look up the Instagram, Billy Penn, um, through the Inquirer, you can see the rules of entry. Is Billy Penn affiliated with the Inquirer? I think it's just like they're like one of their like Instagram handles that's more like media and like cool stuff and restaurants. Like I assume Billy Penn is billypenn.com, which is- Oh, maybe it is. I'm not sure. Entirely unaffiliated, I hope. It's wonderful. Billy yeah. listeners, if you're not already on Billy Penn, it's good local news. Oh yes, it's through W-Y-Y, sorry. W-H-Y-Y? Oh, whatever. Who cares? Public Why? Public radio is a scam. <laughs> they just invented it to sell more communism. Tote bags. Oh yeah, either or. A tote bag full of communism, brimming with it, if you will. Well, Max, I have this suspicious feeling that you watched a big Dern this week. I did. Well, that's nice. Anyway, so what's between what's... your dirt? <laughs> One week we should do that. Just not cover our topics at all, which we've never done. Yes. We we have done that, but you know. <laughs> Anywho, what was your big dirt? To our uh, listeners, go find the one where Nick and I didn't watch either. That was a hours good of fun as you hunt through all our ramblings. <laughs> hours and hours. Um, that would be fun to do, perhaps intentionally and not what you just don't watch our shit uh but not this week because this was a very fun big turn good i have a lot to say about a film from 1996 alexander Payne. earth my word alexander Payne. his monstrosity downsizing just uh, a twinkle in his eye at this point he's a young up-and-comer and this is his directorial debut. It is My called word. Citizen Ruth. And it's so Laura Dern. 
Is Ruth the name of the sled? <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a film school joke for all you listeners out there. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was bad. very good. So Citizen Ruth is also a movie I've never seen before, but as a child in Blockbuster, I vividly recall the VHS cover. And it features Dern in, bless you. Dear God, I'm sorry, I'm coughing. In, like, in a white bathrobe. And she's got one of those Statue of Liberty foam crown hats. And she's holding a, a spray paint bottle. Hmm. And it I says Laura that. Dern in spray paint style. Oh, man, that'd be such a cool poster to have in my bedroom. Hmm. It's a good one. If anyone out there needs to get me a birthday present, either that or another movie that I'll, I'll discuss between the Derns later. Anywho, I apologize. Go on. And looking back, I'm glad I never watched this as a child, even though I remember being compelled by the cover. Um, this is not a good movie for children. Ah, well, I mean, you're opening with vandalism on the poster so that's a that's a strike yeah right, right. so well that could be fun like i mean a lot of wholesome for children fun. but i want to see some graffiti which i think is why i was drawn to it sometimes um, it feels good to be bad that doesn't mean it's good though. and so there is no graffiti in this film oh well that is such that, so why it, would they put that there do you suppose? If you put a spray paint can in the first act, you have to pay it off in the second. Oh, they pay it off instantly. Because Dern is a huffer. Oh, sh wait, what? <laughs> Ruth is, Dern's character, Ruth, is really, really likes the smell of solvents. Hmm. And so I'm going to hop right in on that note. Please do. So we've got this uh, Frank Sinatra song playing. I don't know which one. They're all the same. Don't <laughs> add me. And it's, and Dern is like having bad, aggressive sex in a shitty, scuzzy apartment. Um, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then the Frank Sinatra cuts off and the guy's kicking her out. And... She's like, you said I could stay. We see off the bat, this woman is a mess. Um, and this guy seems like human garbage as well. He kicks her out. So she grabs a pipe and busts in his car window of like the shittiest little car. <laughs> um, all the touches, the detail, kind of setting the stage with her, her character um, is fantastic. And so she grabs this pipe, beats the shit out of like the hood of his car, smashes the window and finds some brake fluid in in his car, which presumably will be used for huffing at some point. She shows up at her brother's house. She says, I got nowhere to go. She's fucked up. He's like, no, like not around the kids. You can't do this. You're on drugs. You're always on drugs. I've bailed you out a bajillion times, you know. Um, and he gives her 15 bucks. Then she goes to a hardware store 
and she starts shaking up some solvents, just like a can of whatever hardware store fluid. Um, and she she's like kind of excited and pumped because she's about to do these drugs. But then she sees a display that's like new and it's a bright, shiny display of um, patio patio sealant. <laughs> and she like lights up. It's very funny because it's like a new product and she gets she's like, that's the one. I always um, love a new huff. <laughs> and she goes outside. She's now behind the hardware store. She's huffing. And in this, it's like it gets intense. Um, this movie generally, especially for the subject matter, has a lighter tone. This moment, it's like it acknowledges the severity at times of its subject. And this is one of those times when she does it, it kind of quickly becomes very intense and her eyes, um, she goes from excitement to just being like practically eyes rolled back in her head, passed out on drugs. And the cops show up, she's got black, like what looks like black paint all around her mouth. Um, cops says she, she looks like the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. Oh no. <laughs> And so she has to go to the doctor, like court ordered, right? And the doctor, she finds out she's pregnant. Oh no. And so then now she's in court. She knows she's pregnant and the judge is very pissed at this woman. <laughs> and we learn a little exposition here that she has been arrested for huffing 16 times in the last year. Whoa. And she has lost four children to the state for being an unfit mother. And he, the judge is pissed. He's like, you sicken me. And he's throwing the book at her. She's going to get charged with felony criminal endangerment of your fetus, he says. So this is going to be your first felony charge. I love the hand gesture you made when you said fetus. Well, you no one describe it to the listener. Gesture as if you were holding a jar with both hands very carefully. <laughs> like yeah. a jar of pickles you really like. Mm -hmm. like these, are, these are my pickles. Anyway, fetus, go on. Yeah, so this, this movie <laughs> is going to be an awful lot about that jar of pickles. Let me huh. tell you. <laughs> And so the judge says now afterwards, off the record, he's like, I can't, can't say this in an open court, but he's like, you know, if you took care of that, uh, that fetus um, and get an abortion, could probably get the city attorney to reduce the charges. Huh. And so she, we find Dern sobbing on the floor in jail and an inmate prayer group like stumbles upon her. Uh, they're singing like a good, good Christian prayer and they find her. And then we cut to an actor by the name of Kirkwood Smith. Do you know who Kirkwood Smith is, Nick? Sorry, I had a I had a lifesaver candy and it was broken, so I was trying to get it out of the package and it kind of fell apart on me. Yeah, that, that explains it because that is a tough maneuver. At first, I was like, "It's taking him too long to get a lifesaver out," but when they break there, yeah, you gotta. Gosh. 
Um, that name he's, sounds incredibly familiar. He uh, is perhaps best known as Red Foreman from that 70s show. Oh, oh, I love him. He was in a RoboCop. Yes, yes, he was. What a guy. <laughs> and so Red Foreman, which is all we're going to call him going forward. <laughs> good, good. He pays out $400 for her bail. It's like him and a, a woman or two women who are kind of with him on this. And they're, it's tough for them to scrounge the money, but they get it together and they pay the $400. And so then Dern comes with them and they take, them, they take her to their good Christian home. And he's um, got a, a calculator watch on, which is a lovely, when I talk about the detail in this movie, oh, that was such a good one. He's got one of those little calculator watches. <laughs> And we surmise pretty quickly that they are pro-life Christians, zealously activist pro-life Christians. And they and now during this whole Darren abortion thing, news got out and they want her to be sort of this, this poster woman of a woman who's allowed to not have to not have an abortion and that she's been required to have one by the state. Right. Hmm. And there's a lot of fun to be had here where Darren is in a house is, is a, a real comical house guest to these people. Right. Cause they're like a good, wholesome um, Christian, like stick up their ass type um, Christian people. And she, is just a vile, foul woman. And she's in the basement trying to huff paint. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Like, we'll, we'll get there, but yeah. that's <laughs> You got it. Um, so then we get, we get a shot that Nick posted on our Instagram back in August. And I My did God. not know what it was from, but it's a wonderful shot of Dern in a bathtub. Um winking one of her eyes is completely closed and what she's doing is one she is on drugs and two she is looking at her foot in the bathtub sticking up out of the water and slowly blinking so it does like the kind of camera one camera two move um and just chilling meanwhile the family is outside waiting for her um and she's taking forever in the bathroom Red, so Red opens the, Red knocks on the door and she doesn't answer. So he like cracks the door open, like everything all right. And she doesn't see him at first. Now she's standing in the, um, in the mirror and she's got like sweatpants and a thong hanging out, um, like a lot, like a good six inches of thong. (laughs) And Red... Red sort of like in spite of himself, you see him kind of get drawn in and like has to like snap himself out of it. Um, And she comes out and they, uh, they say a prayer for her. (laughs) And there's, it turns out she's not the first pregnant woman. There's like another maybe troubled border woman who's living with them. This is sort of their thing is like taking in these women and kind of championing them around their cause. 
what we learned about Dern, she does not understand the implications of this abortion battle or kind of how she's they're trying to use her in this way um but she's also like opportunistic and willing to sort of go along with it but doesn't really she's not thinking about it intelligently or under she doesn't care about that um and so she she's not that's something we're going to see throughout the whole movie so then we get another sort of red moment where now he's like, he's showing her the bed where she can stay and he like hops on it, like kind of tired out while she's, she's on it and he's on it. At first it doesn't feel like weird, but then like he sees the thong again and it's this another moment where he's like, he says, he's like, oh man, what does he say? Um, I was such a sinner before I met Gail, which is like, and then Gail like shouts for him from the other room and he snaps out of it. And unfortunately, I, I wasn't only like in revisiting that, I realized they never came back to that. And that was disappointing because it's set up to be this like, this dark, it's these two two moments very early on in the movie and they don't come back to it at all. Um, Alexander Payne? All right, see that that was a small mistake. But but thankfully this movie has no downsizing levels of mistake. Um, but he was new. It's his first movie. You know, keep that line going. And I, I assume there was some it may have gotten cut. So yeah, I mean to do so. Originally in this movie, they were all gonna get shrunk down halfway through, but he decided <laughs> to shelve that idea. Save it for later. <laughs> The technology just isn't there yet <laughs> to make a giant bottle of vodka and a, a tiny Matt Damon on a boat, which is also tiny. Um, and I'll, for those who don't know Alexander Payne, I'll, I'll give a little bit of backstory on him. So downsizing we did early on this show is comically bad. It is a, an, a, a wonderfully bad movie. One of the most fun because it's terrible movies I've experienced. I've, I've seen a lot of bad movies. I've never seen movies that were bad for the same reasons that one is. It is a unique and compelling pile of shit movie. <laughs> and, but before that, Alexander Payne made great movies. He made About Schmidt with Jack, um, Jack Nicholson and Kathy Bates. Um, Election, have you seen Election? I have heard of it, but I have not well, seen it. Well, then I will it. tell you, as I'm sure I told you on the downsizing episode, Election, a young Reese Witherspoon in high school as the um, like goody, goody um, sort of... Uh, teacher's pet suck up overachiever and but also conniving is all hell and it's about her running for her class president presidency and oh that movie is a is an absolute joy and so he's got good movies and this uh he started off really well this movie has um has some flaws it's not a perfect movie i don't think it's as good as some of his other stuff but overall, it's a really fun ride. So let's keep going. So Dern gets 
super fucked up. There's some more like they have friends in their group. We learn they're called the baby savers and Dern gets all fucked up again. She huffs something, she drinks something and Oh, first we got to do this night where she gets woken up accidentally by the, the border, the other young woman living there. And that woman's sneaking out and she's like, sorry, no, it's fine. Like, don't, don't tell him I'm sneaking out. And she's like, where are you going? She's like a party. And then it just cuts instantly to Dern, like huffing a bag of something at a party with a bunch of people. <laughs> Uh, and then in the morning, she is so deliriously hungover, and they're like made her a nice meal and are oblivious to it. But then later, they catch her in the act of huffing, and they are fed up, and they're like, "We're we can't have you here." She's huffing their their young son's um, model model glue. I was about to, as a joke, say airplane glue, and I'm really yes. glad I was. Oh, this glue. one, this one was airplane glue. Nice. <laughs> and they catch her, and so they they have a friend who's another one of these women in the group, and she's like, "I'll take her. It's fine. Like she can stay with me. You know, I worked in substance abuse counseling in Wyoming. I can help her out." And so that's what happens. And this woman, Swoozy Kurtz, which is an annoying name, but I like Swoozy Kurtz. It's also a fitting name. Um, she is quite Swoozy. I knew her from Pushing Daisies, which is a wonderful show. And what she reveals to Dern and to us is that she is not, in fact, a baby saver. She is an undercover. She's on the other side of the, the debate. And she is an undercover pro-choice activist. Um, she is a, a crunchy lesbian who lives with her partner. Um, she, <laughs> one thing I love about this, Dern's, I mentioned up top, let's talk a bit about Dern's, Dern's clothes. I told Nick this before we were recording, that this has, this is maybe my favorite Dern wardrobe in anything I've seen her in. And she's got some really good wardrobe stuff, right? Um, this one's great because she's wearing, at first she's wearing clothes from the the good Christian home. And then she's wearing clothes from the, the pro-choice home. Aww. And, and it does get at the theme of this. And eh, we'll save that for after I describe them. So first it's um, Grace Institute we will be saved or something like that. It says something Jesus-y. I can't read it on my screenshot. Um, his will be done. And, but she's wearing it all slutted up. She like has it tied. She's got her midriff showing and she tied it up and she's got this like big bow in her hair. This is what she wears with her thong hanging out sweats. Um, and she's all, she's got heavy makeup. She looks great. Um, then next we see her in this like, Easter sweater, this baby blue um, chintzy ass Easter sweater with like bunnies on it that like a Christian evangelical grandmother would get for their grandchild. <laughs> and it's so cool. Oh God, I would kill for this sweater. 
And then, then later with the other, um, with the pro-choice couple, she's wearing like a Frida Kahlo shirt and she's got like this wavy, bright, kind of vaguely indigenous, um, like blouse over it. <laughs> and they're very nice touches, but it also gets thematically about how Dern is just pulled in the direction of each one of these groups over and over again. And this movie doesn't have much, it doesn't really take a stand on like the morality of abortion or what um, kind of which one of these sides is the right side. And instead is really just talking about this like specific activism of these people don't necessarily care about individuals where they're using her as a bargaining chip as a pawn for their their causes um and that's that's like a fair stance and i think it does like a fairly good job at that but it's also like going to drive the direction of the plot hmm. so give me a moment here so one thing she does throughout she listens to the Larry Jarvik system of tapes. <laughs> she, um, and it's like, like an Amway type, like a self-help financial motivation, like how to get out of it. That seems to be her one sort of driving thing that she does towards anything positive. Um, that's the one thing. And she keeps coming back to that as like, the tapes are gonna tell me what to do. And but then she like, after she listens to the tape, she goes like straight to go like huff something. So it's not really getting through, but that does seem to be like, if you asked her what she thinks she needs to do to get her life together, it'd be like, listen to these tapes. And so now it's all back and forth between the two groups. So Dern calls, or the, the mom, the Christian wife, Red's wife, calls the other woman who thinks she thinks she's on her side when Darren's staying there. She's like, how's everything going? She's like, oh, it's good. You know, she's, she's sobered up. And Darren grabs the phone and says some wildly obscene things. <laughs> um, <laughs> she says, uh, you want to send me a message? Oh, so they offer. No, we haven't gotten there yet. So they're like on TV talking about Dern and still being like, this woman is a chance to send a message to, um, to the people who are pro-abortion, that it's awful and it's genocide. And so Dern grabs the phone. She's like, you want to send me a message? I ain't no fucking telegram, bitch. Um, and then, then she calls her the C word. And she is like loud and vulgar. And she and she's like, and Diane, Diane's a, a spy and she isn't even on your side. And she thinks abortion is, she says I should get an abortion and that you're evil. And she slams the phone and then she looks at Susie Kurtz and she's like, how'd I do? Like, I'm all <laughs> excited. Like I nailed it, right? And of course she did not nail it because she now blew up this whole double agent fact. And now we get like an open standoff where the, the Christians, the baby savers are going to be camped out on their lawn and holding press conferences. And meanwhile, the 
pro-choice side has like one of them is this guy Harlan, who is a uh, Vietnam vet who's um, a pro-choice activist and he's like their security basically. And, and like the sort of tough, like camo wearing guy. Um, before that on the Christian side, uh, before they, they gave her to Swoozy, they took her to a doctor and and like a counselor, but a very like a pro-life one who's just like just spouting pro-life propaganda and really just that's all they're pushing. And she's trying to ask questions about the about what she should do and her body and things like that. And they're just she's like, you know, an abortion makes a lot of financial sense. Like I won't go to prison if I get one. Like I'm in a situation that's she's not thinking about this politically or as some like crusade or philosophical thing. She's like, what if I get an abortion, I won't go to prison. <laughs> and so they're trying to talk her out of it. And she, the doctor is the Nazi doctor from, or no, not, not Nazi doctor, Nazi playwright from the producers, the Gene Wilder one. Oh. And that huh. guy's great. He, um, his name is Kenneth Mars. He, he has like real like Fred Willard energy. I have not seen the original producers in forever. Me neither. But and even in this, he's just in this one scene and he's just he's a he's a comic joy. <laughs> and so now, but now she's on the pro-choice side. So it's their turn to try to influence her and kind of get her on their side. But the pro-life people give her they go on tv and hold up a big novelty size check with her name on it for fifteen thousand dollars that they will give her if she has an abortion and they're trying to spin it as so you don't like we're doing this to give you the freedom to choose like everything every decision others try to make for her or insist that she make they try to sell as like so she can choose, make the decision herself. And it never is her decision, right? They're not trying to sell it, to let her make her own decision. But so then to combat that, and she's like, she goes, she starts screaming. She's like, oh my God, $15,000. And they're all like, oh, we can't let, like, we can't let this happen. This like, they're trying to bribe her. And she's like, hell yeah, I'm in, like, deal. <laughs> And she, she, they're watching on TV while they, and she runs outside while this is being covered live on the news. And uh -huh. you see her in the background, because in the news, the house is in the background. You see her like standing, jumping, screaming outside the front door. Um, <laughs> and then, so to combat that, Harlan, the Vietnam vet, He's like, he's like, I, I still got some money from my uh, Agent Orange settlement. And he's like, I'll, I'll give you 15K. And so the first thing she says, like the implication, he's like, I'll give you 15K and you can do whatever you want. And so she goes, she, she's like, oh my God, like, thank you. She's like, 
so I can, she's like, so I can not get the abortion and get 30K. Like, I'll just, I'll take that 15K and I'll get 15K from them too. And he's sort of like, wait, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. And so now she has these competing offers. And it's sort of this, um, this back and forth. And we get a new... We get a, a new power player joins one of the sides. And we see we're at an airfield and a private plane has landed and painted on the side of the plane. It says, baby savers. Thank God they have a plane. That's all I got to say. And, oh, I will say, so we read Foreman, we had learned, is the, the local head of Baby Sabers. Mm. And in this moment, we get a reveal that it's like, oh, this is the national head of Baby Sabers. This is the big red <laughs> Foreman can barely scrounge 400 bucks together. Um, Blaine Gibbons has a private jet. And what's, who's, who struts off that plane? Why one none other than a previous Dern Co collaborator looking dressed to the nines, ever the rich center, just standout man. It is, of course, Burt Reynolds playing himself, of playing course. himself, <laughs> playing like he's not a preacher, but he could be right. It's it's rich preacher energy. It's that Christian evangelical it's John Goodman in um, Righteous Je Gemstones. Ooh. It's that sort of, which, by the way, I don't know if I've mentioned that. Wonderful show. And he gets off the plane and it's like, oh man, these, if these Christian Bible thumpers like could get wet, they'd be wet for this man. All of them, like Red Foreman, everyone's just like, it's like the biggest celebrity in the universe has come to town. And so he gets, so then he's in a, like a hotel room talking with red mm -hmm. and he's trying to spin it. Like this is, mm, I won't even go there. He's sort of, he's trying to pitch like this moral battle. We got to do the right thing. Like, I don't know about the 15 K like, because, you know, doesn't that feel like sort of a bribe? He's like, I think we got to bump it up to 30K. It's like, oh, little twist that he's just like, yeah, throw more money at her. <laughs> and but he he has this long sort of soliloquy about his how he got into this because a woman was going to get an abortion and then he wouldn't have had his boy and this teenage boy who looks like very cherubic has like this like dumb maroon turtleneck but also like a, a light chain about it there's something like his hair is styled very particular he looks like effeminate and cherubic and vaguely sexualized in like just off the bat and like it, it's it's a strange look and you see him and you're like that's a strange kid like and Bert puts his hand around him and he's like, this is my son, Eric, you know, who was supposed to be aborted, basically. And then 
I, I set that up that descriptor because then the next time we come back to that scene, Bert is shirtless and Eric is shaking. Oh, the scene opens with um, the son shaking up a bottle of like oil and it's massage oil and he puts it on his hands. And while Burt Reynolds is just like talking shop. He's got this like teen boy just like massaging his hairy shirtless shoulders. And it's super creepy and like very intentionally so. That, ooh, like I can vividly imagine that and how, ooh, uncomfortable that must have been to see. (laughs) It was very strange. Um, But that scene starts with the shaking bottle, which becomes sort of a motif um one earlier where it's a a scene opens with a a a can of paint in a paint shaker Mm -hmm. just being shaken up and it's like they use that kind of because of the huffing and because of dern shaking um cans and stuff they they use that motif in a couple different situations which is a nice touch um so bert wants to up the stakes and the the pro-lifers the baby savers are out outside singing like a battle hymn of the republic but um how does it go um don't give up on baby tanya don't give up on baby tanya um, and the reason they call it Baby Tanya is because the the producer's um, pro-life doctor from before, he's like, well, what would you name it if you had a, a little girl? And she's like, I guess I'd name it Tanya. And so they're like, this is Baby Tanya. And they, they say they now have $27,000 they've raised for her. And now she's like, hell yeah, she wants to take it. Then we get a shot of Dern's now in her room, like the next morning, she's woken up and she's alone. And it's one of the only times when she's not huffing in this movie that she's alone. There's repeatedly, I haven't gone through like a lot of the detail, but it all sort of plays out similarly is like her being pulled in a direction by one of these two groups or attempted to pull in a direction. And so they're there influencing her, steering her on where to go and what to do. And in this scene, she's alone in in her room and it's, and she, gets up out of bed and there is a big blood stain on the sheets and she reaches down and pulls her hand up and there's blood on it and she is very distraught um and just kind of disconsolate like a a silent shock where she she has no idea what to do or like it, it hits pretty hard. And it's another one of those moments. There's, most of this is like fun satire and like has its moments where it's also like deadly serious and intense. And this is one of those. And, and like you're grateful she's alone because you know this would not, neither one of these sides kind of would, would actually be helpful in this situation either. And, 
she's about to tell Swoozy Kurtz, but then gets interrupted at the last second by a phone call signaling the arrival of a helicopter on the lawn. And because this, because the pro-life side, they ain't the only ones with aircraft here. They're not the only ones with big guns. Burt Reynolds, this one's even better. The pro-choice side, out of this helicopter, their big swinging dick, their, their top in command is Tippy Hedren. From who our younger listeners may not know as a longtime Alfred Hitchcock, the star of The Birds, um, and several other Hitchcock movies that Nick would probably be better at naming than I could. Um, that is bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> wow. She's only in it for this one scene. It's a little. It's a little bit of a bummer that she's like. That's it. It's almost like she's there just as sort of a to introduce a foil on like the Burt Reynolds level. Um, but it's fucking Tippy Hedren. <laughs> what? Um, the weirdest people in it (laughs) yeah this movie is so weird and fun and so we get to be Hedron and now but Dern Dern's about to go on the helicopter they're like trying to shuttle her away and she's about to go and then she hears over the speakers from the the pro-life crowd her mom and Needless to say, her mom is Diane Ladd. In oh. One of, I believe, you know, probably 10 <laughs> roles where Dern's real mother plays her character's mother. And she is speaking on a megaphone standing next to Burt Reynolds and says, don't do it, Ruthie. What if I had aborted you? And Dern screams back, then I wouldn't have had to suck your boyfriend's cock. Which is, yikes. And it's another moment of it, like, really reminding us of, like, the real severity. That that was the first. They hadn't revealed that Darren had been abused in any way. But we learn enough about her character to not be remotely surprised that she was. Um, And so she gets on the helicopter. And... They shuttle her into a bulletproof limo to an abortion clinic and the baby savers follow. Meanwhile, she's already, she's had a miscarriage, right? And she didn't tell anyone, she got interrupted. And the plan was to pick up Harlan's, the pro-choice guy's 15K in a duffel bag at the, at the abortion clinic. So she gets the bag and she's like, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. And she's in the bathroom and huffing the money. She opens the bag and um Hallelujah starts playing. You know, Messiah, the, the classical one, not the uh not Leonard Cohen. Not the Le- Leonard Cohen fuck song. And <laughs> And she she takes out the money and she starts just like rubbing it on her chest like she is ecstatic. And so she's got this money that, right, this is all she cares about. And she opens the little window in the bathroom 
Mm -hmm. And at first it's not going to open. So in her bag, she pulls out the can can of like brake fluid that she stole earlier with huffing intent and uses it to lube up the window hinge and open it. And there's a security guard down there. So she grabs the, uh, the, the toilet lid <laughs> and drops the porcelain toilet lid and drops it on his head and crawls out the window with the money. And while they're all fighting at the front of the abortion clinic, she like sneaks away and hops over a fence and she's gone. The end. Really? That's how it ends? Yeah. Damn. Huh. Well, I'll be. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Any questions? I'm I'm just trying I'm digesting. Um wonder what happened to her. 15k, that's a lot of huffing. That's a lot of huffing. Um and she does it. Did she seem to like like get off of it or like improve personally like throughout that or did she pretty we much We have we would I'd probably be more surprised if she didn't blow it all on huffing. But I think she could, right? It suggests, no, like, to answer your question, no. There isn't some, like, turn where she's, like, some redemption arc some where she gets her shit together. No. But, Good. but what's clearly true is that in her situation, right, she is in a terrible situation and she does need help to get out of it. And she's the only, she's going to try. She, thi she thinks that money solved all her problems. That absolutely. And she will try and she'll be driven by those motivation tapes and she'll try, but it might very quickly turn out that that trying just turns into huffing. Hmm. As it often does. Yeah. So long odds, but she could have made it. I, I do have one question. I had asked you this off off mic earlier, but do you think Burt Reynolds fucked her mom in this one too? <laughs> because that is something that happened in the last um, Dern Reynolds picture. I forgot to bring that up because it, it certainly feels that way just in the one scene her mom's in is standing on stage having been, <laughs> um, having been wooed by Burt Reynolds. Um, to try to use Dern as a pawn. So yes, I do. I absolutely do. And and there oh, there's one other um Dern Dern connection in this movie besides Burt Reynolds, besides Diane Ladd. One I hadn't said Red Foreman's wife is played by Mary Kay Place who was Dern's mom in Smooth Talk. There's some oh. mean things about her vapid mall rat daughter. Oh, yeah. God. So this one's got a lot of cool people. It's got right. It is a superlative Dern in terms of wardrobe. Really, might be my my absolute favorite in that regard. Uh, so all around, this is great. Go see it. It's the best Alexander Payne movie that Laura Dern was in. So far. So far. Downsizing 2? 
Oh, don't even joke about that. That's a dream. I mean, it like it ends on the implication that the world is literally going to end. Yeah. Well, he really painted himself into a corner there, huh? That's a paint himself out of one too uh, oh he could He'd be like and it was all a dream and yeah. now matt damon's Tur- it turns out that side. scientist was wrong <laughs> they just get really big <laughs> uh like um honey i shrunk the kids three yeah honey i blew up the kid. kid exactly uh giant baby <sighs> well 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 i guess it's time to get between our turns max yeah what's in there well um last night i watched freddie got fingered for the first time (laughs) and boy howdy was i not ready for that (laughs) within 10 minutes um the protagonist tom green um jerks off a horse like a real horse with his real hand and he's just yelling about how he's a farmer and that was a good start I I very much enjoyed the appearance of um, Rip Torn. Uh, what's his... Yes, Rip Torn, who was also very key in Larry Sanders' show. I've been plowing through. It is a fantastically odd film. I totally understand how people could not like it. I I enjoyed it. It had its merits. Do you have any feelings about that movie? Um, I I haven't seen it in a very very long time. But I was quite a fan of Tom Green and was like absolutely 100% right in like the age target demographic that Tom Green hit real hard when he came on the scene with the Bum Bum song and the Tom Green show. (laughs) Do you know the Bum Bum song? I am vaguely familiar. Lonely Swedish would be the parenthetical title. Maybe. It was a Tom Green novelty song that was briefly um, Perhaps a really, really just a cultural touchstone for a couple weeks. It's going to be in the Smithsonian. It belongs there. It, it probably the is game. in their collection, to be honest. <laughs> I wonder if Freddy Got Fingered is in the Smithsonian movie collection. It's the only movie in there. Is it Criteria yet? Because it should be. <laughs> Man, we're probably going to be alive to see Freddy Got Fingered become a Criteria film. It, God, I hope. And, whew, God, I got really lost in that hope there. Um, let's see. I've also been watching all the Psychos. Ooh. You which, tell us about all the Psychos. Well, let me let me just do a quick mental math. We got one, two, three, four. And then the like 88 remake that's just shot for shot with Vince Vaughn playing Norman Bates. That was like, no, that was way later than 88. Oh, 98. I think it's an eight. I, I don't know. Then it's 98. Yeah. It, doesn't, it don't matter. So uh, we got the first one, Psycho, stabby, stabby. He goes to jail. Number two, he gets out of jail and he goes back to the hotel and he's immediately he gets in the house and he starts hearing his mother's voice. So you're like, oh, great, we're doing this again. <laughs> but, and then he meets this girl, and then we find out that um, the sister of the woman he like famously shower kills in the first one and her daughter, who is the girl that is now like staying with him and like being very nice to him, are trying to drive him crazy again to put him back in jail because they don't want him to be out because of all his crimes. 
And then like, there's this whole big thing. And at the end, um, the daughter is dressed like his mother and in the basement stabbing him and the cops come down and shoot her. And then they pin, he had killed multiple people up to this point in the movie. So then they pin all those murders on the daughter and mother. So Norman is still free at the end of Psycho 2. Gotcha. Who and directed then, this film? Um, that one was directed by like a, one of the producers on the original one. And it came out, I think, almost exactly 22, 22 or 23 years later. Is it terrible? It's actually pretty good. Nice. Like it has decent production value and it's like newer. So you get to see like the whole, you get to see it both in color and like the whole set and like from different angles and different ideas. It's definitely interesting. Now, Psycho 3, that is the one that it came out like two or three years after that. It was directed by Anthony Perkins, who of course plays oh. Norman. Norman. It was Bates. his directorial debut. And while he was directing it, he found is out- he, that, He's in all these movies? Yes, okay. he is in every canonical film excluding the remake because gotcha. I think he might have been dead at that point. But um, this movie, he was he directed it. He found out he had AIDS during the production. Um, he said he probably he was definitely not up to directing it, but apparently he did a pretty good job. It's definitely not as good. Um, I watched it and I'm still a little, a little fuzzy on the plot because I looked away like three times for a minute and I lost everything. But it basically ends with Norman getting arrested again. And like they say, Norman, that's it. You're going away forever. And he like, at one point he like, he also, sorry, at the end of the second one, you find out that his mother, like the mother from the original one was not his real mother and his actual mother comes to the house and then he kills her and keeps her in his house like he did with his original mother. There's a lot of mother moving around and like who Norman actually belongs to by birth. Um, so yeah, in the third one, he has his real second dead mummy mom and he like stabs her and destroys her. And when he gets arrested, he's like, that's fine because I know I don't have her in me anymore or something like that. And uh, I actually have not watched four yet, but I'm going to watch it tonight. It's called Psycho 4, The Beginning. Let me read you the tagline. That's a you, terrible title. You've met Norman, now meet mother. Ooh. I literally have no idea what this is going to be about, but I'm incredibly excited. It's going to be the mom is the psycho. This came out in 1990. I mean, yeah, she was crazy, like, in the storyline. Oh, of. yeah. Is it going to be little kid Norman? It looks like it. I mean, just the three pictures are old man Norman in a jail cell with red light. We have a woman in bed in pajamas, assumedly mother, and then who is clearly a younger Norman underneath that. Cool. Yeah, I really don't know what this is going to be like, but it sure is going to be something. Anywho, enough of that. Um, I guess there's just one more thing I have to mention. I watched something amazing the other night. I... As listeners might know, I'm an artsy boy. I like a nice Broadway show. I'm also a fan of magic. So when I watched the incredible show that I, I have never regretted not seeing something like that more, like in person, it was called In and of Itself. It was a kind of a narrative, a he narrative heavy magic show that was also sort of like a play. It was done in a very small Broadway theater for like, I think 500 some productions production nights rather and it's just incredible stories and how it all ties together and it's just a incredibly well written thing like it's almost like a book of short stories 
but a visual representation of it. And like the hat trick at the very end is incredible. It's, I cannot suggest enough. It is on Hulu. It's like an hour and a half. If you have time, please go watch it because it is fantastic. And I bring this up specifically because Max said he had a story involving this that I am incredibly excited to hear. So I will say up front that this is sort of a spoiler for the show. So if you haven't seen it, if you, um, it's probably best that you skip ahead a couple minutes, but then after you watch it, you can come back and, and listen to this and it'll make it even cooler. I will say one last thing before you go on. That is kind of ironic because one of the points of the performance is that every night one person gets kicked out before the end of the show and has to write a thing and then they come back the next day. Like that's just a thing that they cover in the show. Oh, okay. So like this is very akin to that. Any go. Anyway, skip ahead five minutes, but Max. Okay. So I have not seen this show, but a few years ago, I was, it was around Christmas time and my sister and her fiance at the time, now husband, they were, um, I want, they live in Brooklyn and I wanted to get them tickets to something cool in the city. So I got them tickets to this. I found it. It sounded neat, like this magic. It's, it's critically acclaimed, this cool magic show, like off Broadway. And I was like, oh, this sounds awesome. I got them tickets to that. And then a few days later, maybe a week later, I get a random phone call. And it's from a woman. She says, hey, um, I, I'm a producer for that show. And I was wondering, like, if you could tell me about, like, who you got the tickets for. And I was like, oh, for my, my sister and her fiance. And she's like, okay, would you want to, like, kind of help with a, a thing in the performance a bit? Like, if this sounds, she's like, do you, can you think of anyone who could write a letter? Um that like to to your sister or her fiance that would be especially right like meaningful or something i forget they gave me some some prompt around that and i was like oh yeah totally and i got my other sister to write a letter and what this as nick knows from having watched this what this um was used for was basically this was planted for like the climax of the show where one audience member, and in this case, it was my sister is called on stage and like this letter is revealed and it's all this magic trick. They, you know, she got blind. So she started sobbing. Oh, there, they show a clip in it with like the, a few, they had obviously filmed like maybe five or six performances. And there's this one woman, she's older and she gets a letter from her father who's dying of Parkinson's and it is intense, like bonkers. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Uh, but it's it's really good. Yeah. And so so my sister was like, she she was over the moon over it and had such an amazing experience. So she she just watched this and highly recommends it to me and everybody else nice nice welcome back if you skipped ahead through all that um max i can't believe it's that long that's all i gotta say um so 
penis. Yes. Um, what's between your turns? Let's see. Well, I've been, I've been very busy this last week, so I don't have much traditional. No, no shows, no movies. Um, but I do have one. The one thing, the best piece of media I watched this week was a YouTube video called J.K. Rowling um, by ContraPoints, who, if you don't already know, is the best YouTuber there is, and it's not even close. Do you know who ContraPoints is? I feel like I'm familiar with that. ContraPoints is a YouTuber. She's a, a trans leftist YouTuber, and... A few for a few reasons, I would describe her as literally the best YouTuber that that I've ever seen. Is a, a deep knowledge insight into issues, typical general leftist issues, a lot of specifically trans issues, um, a lot with the alt right, with looking at sort of online alt right spaces, and exceedingly just smart and well-read and on all of those things she was I think she dropped out of a PhD program around that stuff so very like PhD level knowledge and is very is able to discuss opposing sides and often vile vile people and like really horrible not just opposing but people who do really vile things and is nevertheless able to approach them with empathy and try to offer understanding of where they're at and but doesn't use any of that to shy away from like acknowledging with brutal honesty like the fucked up situations and also has the best fucking production value this is one you can there you can watch she's been around for years but you'll see a couple interesting things kind of develop throughout. And one is her transition physically and mentally. And it's a subject of many films. You see it in appearance and also the like increase in quality in, and like these things look like movies and the aesthetic you as a fan, Nicholas of like, I, I know how you use spaces and value visual ephemera. Um, ContraPoints is, is the absolute master in that regard. And this, this YouTube video is about JK Rowling and it's like 90 minutes long. Know that going in. If you want, if you want an introduction, you don't have to start there, but you can watch the first 10 minutes of this and that's as good an introduction as any. And you'll know if you want to keep watching basically. And this one's super good. It's all about obviously JK, who's got some um, significant uh, stance views on trans people that some could argue are pretty fucked up, but it's a really deep dive and not just like a, you know, it's not just like dunking on her or anything. It is like a really measured look at a lot of issues surrounding that in like a very well-crafted narrative that is very engaging and good, like just about all of her other videos because she's the best in the game. That's huh. between my Derns. 
I will definitely be looking into that. Also, this GameStop business, oh, that ha- that has been the number one source of entertainment for me this week. I love it. I have purchased a few stocks since this beginning of public awareness of weird offended stock exchanging. Yeah, I think you're not alone. I got I, I got in on GameStop. Had a boy. I'm with him. It'll be the next. It's, it's too fun not to be. <laughs> Well, uh, my $20 of no keys stock will likely buy me a home one day, and that's all I need. That is exactly where we're headed. Oh, I tried buying Blockbuster stock, but they didn't offer it where I was doing it. <laughs> so here we are. I really want to get You a- can only get, but there's the one Blockbuster in Alaska is the only place you can get Blockbuster stock. It is in Bend, stock. Oregon, thank you very much. And that's what they all say. I feel like it would... I just have this like imagined hypothetical where like I give them a hundred dollars and I become like, <laughs> like a big shareholder in the company and they give me like a parking spot at the last one. And stuff like that. <laughs> I just want, I just want to get one stock in like a, a physical certificate. I think oh that'd, yeah. That'd be pretty dope for Blockbuster. It's like right, right above my desk. I'll just know that I have a little piece of her. That would be incredible. Well, well, well. Shall we little turn? Yes, please. Well, sorry, I'm writing something down for later. Um, I had to watch an episode of The Mindy Project. Ah. Critically acclaimed, I believe still running on its sixth or seventh season um, comedic show, written, of course, by Mindy Kaling of The Office and various other fames many movies lots of comedic stuff like a person in the like judd apatow comedic universe maybe yeah that feels right like i feel like she's of that group of people that is like a judd apatow adjacent and then everything that spouts from that yes which is like a big a lot of people are judd apatow adjacent right she's Uh, yeah she's in she's in it she's (laughs) she's deep five fingers deep um it was very foreboding because when i clicked the episode to play it started with a ad with mindy kaling in it and i believe the first thing she says is oh funny seeing you here and (laughs) it was such a weird like like 1984 super specific moment and i got creeped out for a second but I, i held in i didn't didn't stop watching so this is the end of the third season of a show that I have never seen. So I feel like there's a lot of backstory that I can't offer you as a listening audience or you, Max, but I'll do my best. So we open with, um, I think we're at a hospital and there's a meeting and it's basically one person saying to everyone else, like, we can't all take off to go to an ex-coworker's wedding. And then this guy comes in wearing like a... Um, I was trying to think of the movie earlier, but it's still evading me. Um, what's that movie where everything's legal for a day? Purge. The Purge, yes. He's wearing like one of those purge masks and like the lights start flickering and he has like a like, like a voice changer and he's saying like, I will kill all of you and your families. Let's play a game, like stuff like that. And then he takes it off and re- realizes, oh, that's the person who's getting married. Um, I don't know his name. Doesn't really seem to matter. Um, he, he says that his best man um, just left the wedding because he tried to 
convince him to marry him instead of his wife. And there was this whole thing about it. And then he says, Mindy, why it don't you be? It's like a love actually move. Yeah, exactly. And it didn't work. Probably real. where he got the idea from watching that trash film. Uh, but hey, I was trying to think of something from it. At Christmas, you have to tell the truth. <laughs> there you go. We love that old British chestnut of a tradition. Actually, the original tradition, a lot of people don't know this, was um, you have to tell the truth on Groundhog Day. Oh, heck. One minute. Don't pause. Don't pause. I did just purchase this book I'm very excited about. This book is called Christmas Crackers. Yes. And it's St. Nick holding like Christmas, Christmas cracker. That's Does what they're called, right? The little poppers. British poppy things. Yes, but yes, it is a history of poppers and like all the different art and the people that made them. I'm quite excited. Speaking oh, wow. of British Christmas. Anyhow, uh, so Mindy gets picked as the first man or best man. And then we meet Mindy's boyfriend, who apparently is a character in the show. I've been told his name is yeah, Danny. Little Italian guy. Yeah, a little Italian fella. Yeah, he's great. He's good. I like him. Uh, he's Danny. And then she's talking to him about coming to meet her parents before they move to India for a year. And she's he's like, yeah, it'll be fun. And then she just like lays all these like weird ground rules where she's like, you should bring my mom a bottle of wine and bring my dad a nice book. He likes reading. And uh, my grandfather, bring him an, uh, an old coin, maybe. And I'm um, also don't bring up the Yankees and uh, shave your beard. Like just all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, OK. Um... There's a little wedding drama, just, you know, chitter chatter, weird, like, B story stuff. Um, we get to the he, the Danny has a procedure that night. He works at the hospital. So he was coming later and then the, the procedure runs late and he calls her and he's just like, I don't think I should come. I have to go home and pack. And then I get there super late. And she just keeps saying like, oh, no, you can get here late. You can get here tomorrow. We can go to the stadium in Boston or something like that. And she's like clearly Fen- upset. And Fenway just, Park. Um, she's clearly upset and he's just like, I mean, what do you want me to do? Like, it's late, that kind of stuff. And they What's hang another up. Boston stadium. That'd be, I, I just, I couldn't think of it. Off where, the top. where do the Celtics play? If you Google Boston stadium, it just the Fenway park shows up. I think they play, uh, they play at cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Not the touristy one. That's no, in, like, no, they actually play in Filene's basement. Ah, uh. <laughs> It's TD Garden for for the listener at home. Thank you for that. I was really wondering. But uh, then we find out that Mindy's pregnant. What? Apparently she had been pregnant in the series up to now. I just found out that she's pregnant. (laughs) And I was like, what? And um, then she's talking to her, the man who's being her best man, who she's being the best man for, who is also her doctor. Like she, just in the hospital, like they know each other, and he is also her baby doctor. And he, she basically says, like, uh, my parents don't know that Danny exists as like the father of this child and my boyfriend. And she was going to introduce him that night. And one of the nurses who is like kind of a, a like a like a Kramer adjacent kind of character, like Baron Holtz. Yes, I was just about to butcher his name. She, he hears a section of what she's saying, and all he hears is like how am I going to tell him that he's not the father or like something, something that would make him think that Danny is not the actual father. <laughs> like it's just that she, I think she tells the doctor what she had been telling her parents. 
And um, oh, we've got a this. real comedy of errors, Bruin. It's like, oh no, my whole life is a lie. And then we are, uh, where are we? Oh, then she goes to the doctor who is suggested by her marriage friend. And she is, of course, Laura Dern doing a terrible Ukrainian accent for about a minute and a half. And um, it's it's something. It's funny. It's weird to see Dern doing such a comedic, like, sketch comedy accent, especially on a highly acclaimed show like this. But, you know, it's fun. She said, Her first line is, Peter is my favorite Jew. <laughs> and Peter, of course, is the friend who's getting married. And I was like, that's a cool opening line. <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, she just she calls uh, Mindy basically fat and old, <laughs> and Mindy is like, in our country, that's an insult, and she's just like, no, no, you are a you are a mansion for your child. This is very good, <laughs> very good where I come from, and it's you know, it's funny, I guess. It's a way to use Laura Dern, and she never comes back. That's her only inclusion in the series. So All should right, I stop I, there? Or do you want to know what happens at the end of I'm season? I'm at the edge of my seat. I am also too, and I just watched it. So they get to. They're at like a house. I think it's Danny's house and they're kind of bickering and he seems like agitated. And then they open the door and surprise, it's a baby shower that his mom is hosting. His mom, of course, is played by Rita. Perlman. Yes, Rita Perlman of Cheers fame. Rhea Perlman. Rhea, yes, sorry. Rhea Perlman, the longtime partner of... Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. Thank you for just filling in all the blanks that I'm starting here. I got you. Um, so they're having this baby shower and like Danny is being like kind of pushy and weird and like kind of rude. Like he's writing stuff down and just, I don't like, I don't know. He seems upset and I don't really know why. <laughs> like it's never really set up a reason he should be like the, the nurse didn't tell him yet. And then the nurse then walks in and he says, stop, this baby shower's a lie. And he, he actually interrupts as um, Rhea Perlman is pulling up a video chat with um, Mindy's parents to surprise her. And of course the parents don't know about him yet. So it's like all of this is coming to a head and then the nurse runs in and he says, stop, this is all a lie. And then he brings in four men and says, one of these men is Min the ba Mindy's baby's actual father. <laughs> and these four men are played by um, Schmidt from New Girl. Okay. Left to right, Schmidt from New Girl, and then uh, Anders from Workaholics. Okay. And then the third one is BJ Novak. <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> they just they got hear... one from each show. Yes. And he's like a, he's, him and Mindy are famously very good friends. And he is and they in dated. real life, possibly the father of one of her actual children. Oh, really? I yes. didn't know that level of detail. Yeah. Cause um, she like, she, I think her first child, like, she just did not want to say publicly who the father was, but, like, everyone pretty much assumed it was him, so that was, like, a funny joke. And then the fourth guy was just some guy. I didn't really recognize him. Didn't matter. Didn't look him up. Oh. And then um, she was says, this? I really, I could not recognize I mean, you can look it up if you, you want. You gotta round out that ra Mount Rushmore, Nick. They, they kind of, they kind of talk for a while, and at one point, they say, like, they all say, like, they've done meaningful things with her parents, even though, like, their relationships are over, and the guy <laughs> who I did not recognize, like, went on a, a walking tour one day, and he was on crystal meth at the time, he admits. <laughs> nice. Amazing. But anyway, they have, he's upset, and so is she, they kind of fight, and it comes to the head where, like, he proposed to her because she was pregnant, but, like, he doesn't really want to get married, he had been married before, it didn't work out. 
and his mother has is divorced and he just feels like marriage is a thing that can't work and she is really upset about this and it kind of hymns and haws on that for a while at one point Rhea basically is like maybe we just didn't marry people that deserved us and then it ba- it ends with Mindy on the phone with um the nurse I believe so is on that phone with somebody who's at the wedding and like um the man is doing the the best man's dance which apparently is a thing which is just a dance to the song the boys are back in town and the person who she's on the phone that's with a is real like, thing i don't know if don't that's do that listeners, I feel like listeners don't do that yeah just have an embarrassing speech yeah anyway so then the person on the phone is like oh he your boyfriend he isn't actually here and she's like that's weird and then we see him he had been getting on a plane presumably to be going to the wedding and then this phone call happens and then we find out that he's going to india to talk to her parents and basically be like i'm in love with your daughter and that's how the season ends oh so he did the right thing and he is leaning into love and all that good stuff yeah way to go dj novak is totally the father of that bruce springsteen energy ah bruce anyway (laughs) sorry just had a little dreamy moment about the boss you have to every now and then. That was my little dirt. It was a pretty good one. I could see myself watching this show, probably not right away, but it's a fun one. I I remembered um the Anders home character is very good. He's in it for for a bit. He's like a a cool pastor. Nice. That she dates. <sighs> well, we've done it again, Max. We've watched a little bit more of Laura Dern's work. I didn't think we'd we'd make it, but we're here. <laughs> Every week we defy God by continuing this <laughs> podcast. <sighs> I'm happy to do it. You want to know what we're doing next week? What? Next week we're switching it up a little, buddy. Oh. We are watching two episodes of the acclaimed cultural milestone sitcom ellen really yeah she was on two episodes and we're watching this the ellen sitcom yes i believe they are concurrent episodes but i'm not 100 percent sure okay um yeah i found this i (laughs) i was looking at our timeline of viewings and then i found the sidebar i forgot about where all of these specials are and i was like oh shit we need to start doing those so ellen is that all we're doing is there another one we could pick pick off the sidebar um, I mean, there's two episodes of this. I figured that'll fill an episode of this. All right. I, I feel like everything's good. I've everything never seen else it. is a little too young. big to work in with another thing. Um, but yeah, I only think I've seen like the episode where she comes out, and it was fine. I mean, I feel like it's just like gay friends, basically. Have you or Will and Grace? Have you gotten <laughs> to Ellen in your viewing of? the larry sanders show oh yes i didn't want to harp too much on larry sanders this week because i had a lot of um psycho and magic talk but i did finish it and she comes up and of course larry sleeps with her in the episode the oh, first episode. amazing uh she, yes her and she's in the last episode as well which by the way you'll cry it's if you go through the whole thing you get to the end it is a oh it's a ride but you know it's not like a i feel it had such a different feel to it I've watched a lot of things over quarantine. So like I've dealt with a lot of endings of things that I've gotten attached to, but this one like feels better, I think. All right. Like the way it, like it, 
a weird hope, despite the fact that it's just like an insanely famous in that world man just ending his talk show. It's interesting, though. Nice. But yeah, so we're going to dive into Ellen. America's Sweet. lesbian. The Who's number two? Well, first of all, I don't think she is America's lesbian anymore. I think she so was... So who's de- number one? She was dethroned when everyone found out she was actually evil. Um, Who is America's lesbian? I would say it probably was Ellen Page... But Ellen Page is now Elliot Page. So I would say he has been dethroned. I don't know. Who would you say America's lesbian is? I I mean, I think it's it's still Ellen, uh, because Ellen's the only one. There's no one else in the running, even though even the lesbians, right? Like Jodie Foster can't be America's lesbian. That's not I don't know. And it's sort of fucked up that I'm like I it speaks to like our sort of tokenization of the issue perhaps when there's literally one lesbian who's like I feel like Jane Lynch could be in the running for America's lesbian is Jane Lynch a lesbian I'm fairly certain yes then I'd say Jane Lynch is number two I just I don't know I I think I, I think that that works I feel like it's one of those things where, like, if you look at the highest grossing films of all time, there's, like, such incredible variances in dates. Like, it'll be... I don't know. Like, it'll be Avatar and then, like, the Titanic and just, like, it'll yeah, bounce around. Gone the with the wind. Like, I feel like the list of America's lesbians is going to be ruled by Ellen despite the fact that she's kind of fallen from her star just because she had so much time. Yes. Sorry, I think yeah. if if there is a concept of America's lesbian, I think it it's Ellen. I had a pen. I'm go. I think I'm me. going to try for next week to work out this Americans lesbian problem. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna find I'm gonna bring a few contenders for you to decide. Okay. Max, you are naturally the one who needs to decide. <laughs> you are the final step. <laughs> the uh, final. Uh, uh, what's that thing? What is uh, mm, that thing? Like how, like a balance of power? The like check. You are the final check and balance step before we decide America's lesbian. You're okay. you're the one who gets the envelope. It's up to me, huh? Yeah, I'm actually really excited to do this. <laughs> well, next week, tune in for lesbians. Yeah, yeah. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Oh!